You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Let me ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to the eighth chapter of... uh... Well, actually, I'd like for you to, I'm going to open my Bible. Well, yeah, 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. That's not the text for the message. But I want to read you a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to read from the 16th chapter of Exodus. So look at both of those, if you will, please. Before I read this passage of Scripture, let me just mention a couple of things. If you were to ask me what I believe on the basis of observation during what is now 37 years of ministry in the gospel, if you were to ask me what I believe is the single most important factor in an individual's success and effectiveness in life, period, I would tell you it is one thing. And as I said, I believe this on the basis of observation. Not to mention what the Word of God says, but just because of the men and women whom I have known who have practiced this one thing. It's not a complicated thing. It's a very simple thing. It's, a, it's something which we are commanded to do and something which we have the privilege of doing, and it's something everybody in this room can do. And it will make all the difference in your life in terms of its effectiveness. Now, now most people, mo- most believers in Christ will have moments of brilliance. There'll be those days when they'll take a stand and everybody will say, man, that, that, you know, that, that really is fantastic. Or moments when they'll be sacrificial and their heart will be moved and they'll do something that will just be incredibly Christ-like. But if you want to be an individual who has staying power, an individual who grows in effectiveness and influence, throughout your entire life. If when you die, you want others to think of you as more than a person who had a great moment or did a great thing. But if you want uh, them to think of you as an individual who had a great and marked influence on your life and the lives of their life and the lives of others, this is one thing you must do. Not complicated, simple, Commanded, available, everybody in this room can do it. Unfortunately, most people in any room like this will never do it. Now, I'm hoping and and praying, even as I preach this evening, that 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 will change right here in your heart, in your life right now. Most people will never do it. And yet it is the one thing I believe will make the most difference in any person's life if you know Christ as your Savior. Simple. Commanded to do it, not complicated. It's a wonderful privilege. It doesn't take a lot of time. But it is the one thing that will make the most difference in your life. I know of individuals who have a great heart of love and dedication to the Lord, and I know they, they have these moments in their life when they rise to the surface and they, they do something that is amazing. I mean, they just, they, they just you know... They set a standard for people, but then days pass and we find them folding. We find them crumbling. We find them 
maybe ending what was a brilliant life in, instead of in brilliance and effectiveness, ending it in shame and in sorrow and in despair. Now, I'm speaking about something which will keep that from happening in your life. I'm speaking about something which will enable you to enlarge your heart day by day, year by year, so that no matter what the exigencies of life are, whatever happens to the stock market, whatever happens to the economy, what happens on the job, you just keep growing on. Just one thing, not a complicated thing. It's a really simple thing. We're told to do it in the Scripture, and in more than one place in the Scripture. In fact, in dozens of passages we are commanded to do this. And it remains to be seen how many individuals this evening will either continue doing it, if you're already doing it, or will take up the challenge and begin today. Simple, uncomplicated, the key. In it is a wealth of influence, effectiveness, stability. It has the power to make you into a rock as a Christian, or without it, you, you'll be the first to crumble. Simple, uncomplicated, it's there for you. Now, some of you are already ahead of me, but some of you have no idea what I'm speaking about. And so let me just tell you, I'm speaking of the daily reading of the Word of God. Day by day, week by week, month by month, spending time in the Word of God. Over the years, I've met any number of individuals who will tell you right off the bat. They'll say, well, preacher, if you want to know what the secret of my life is, I'll just tell you, I spend time every day in the Word of God. I've met other people who had incredible zeal, but they just did not have the discipline. They didn't have the decisiveness to come to a moment, a service like this, and say, you know something, from this moment on, for the rest of my life, I'm going to spend time day by day, week by week, year by year in the Word of God. When I was growing up, there was a, a plastic uh, loaf which looked like a loaf of bread on the middle of my table. Some of you have seen this, our table, my parents put it there. And it was a list of Bible verses, and on the side of it were the words, daily bread. Now, I'm going to speak this evening about God's Word. And here's the title of the message this evening, Manna, Holy Food from the Heavenly Father. Manna, Holy Food from the Heavenly Father. I don't want the significance of manna to be lost on us this evening. Manna was that incredible food which God made available to the children of Israel throughout the entire 40 years in which they wandered in the wilderness. They found it on the ground. As a matter of fact, the 16th chapter of Exodus, from which we're going to read in a few moments, tells us about it. They found it on the ground each moment. It came with the frost. It looked like a coriander seed. It, it was white. It tasted, the Bible tells us, like a wafer which was made with honey. And it was there every morning. 
The children of Israel were commanded to gather it, gather enough for the day, because there would not be any way in which it could be preserved, except on the sixth day. Now, this is rather remarkable. Every morning it would be there for six days during the week. Each of those mornings they were to gather, and if they kept too much, if they had leftovers, it would spoil, become wormy, and it would stink. But on the sixth day, they were to gather two portions, one for that day and one for the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath day, there was no manna on the ground. Incredible. I mean, it was just a, an obvious work of God for the children of Israel. Now, you've got to remember that there were probably in the neighborhood of 1.8 million people out here in the wilderness, 600,000 men of fighting strength. Now, you multiply that times the families of which they were a member, the other children and the older people, 600,000 600, soldiers, 1.8 million people fed for 40 years with manna, six days on the ground, each person gathered enough for himself, didn't have any left over. The sixth day, they were to gather two portions. There was nothing that came to the ground on the seventh day. Now, that was manna. The word means, what is it? Or another uh, way of saying it would be, this is my portion, or perhaps with a question mark, this is my portion? What is it? Nobody had ever tasted or seen this before. Nobody ever tasted or saw it afterwards. It was such an incredible thing that uh, God commanded Moses to take some and put it in a pot and take that pot later on when the tabernacle was built there in the wilderness and place a pot of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. So it would be a reminder to generations to come of the way that God had provided for them on a daily basis in the wilderness. Now, why did God do that? That's just, that's incredible. Think about that. Why did God do that? Well, we have the answer in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So turn in your Bible, if you will, please, just for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Then I'm going to have you stand and read the scripture text for this evening. In chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, we find Moses looking back across the 40 years of journey in the wilderness. And he explains manna. He tells why this came. Beginning with verse 1, all the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do. He's given them a little, their marching orders for crossing over Jordan, going into Canaan. Shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land which your fathers swore unto your, which the Lord swore unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. To do what? To humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and then he suffered you to hunger. He allowed you to hunger. We read about that this morning. He allowed you to hunger, and then, look at this, and he fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know. Now, why? That he might make you know, and the word there has a strong emphasis, he was determined that you would not get out of, of the wilderness until you learned this lesson that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Now, the text for the message this evening is in Exodus chapter 16, so stand with me and let's, let's look at this one verse, and let's read it aloud together. It is verse 4. The children of Israel have just complained to Moses, as I said this morning, when they didn't like what was going on, they complained to Moses. When God was disturbed with the children of Israel, that he came to Moses. So Moses uh, 
needed some information, and God shared with him what he was to tell the children of Israel. Beginning with uh, the fourth verse here, we're going to read just one verse together. Let's look at it, if you will, please. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. Father, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will impress it upon the heart. Lord of everyone, Lord, I think of these students here. What an incredible impact and influence in this world. If you could just capture the heart of one or two or 20 or 40 or 100 of these students, Lord, and if they would become people who read your word on a daily basis, who become familiar with this one book, this most wonderful book, this supernatural book, which will change their lives. And Father, I pray that every one of us, whatever age and stage of life you, you find us this evening, that we would do the same, become people of the book. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Not going to take a long, long time this evening, but I want to share with you four very important truths which I believe could just uh, explode into activity in your own life. But you need to grasp each one of these. Here's the first one. The Bible is God's word for you. The Bible is God's word for you. I want you to write that down someplace there in the margin of your scripture. It is God's word for you. As a matter of fact, look at verse 4 there. He says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the guys out there in the truck, if that's on the screen someplace, go ahead and put it up there so that we can remember uh, what it is. The Bible is God's word for you. Behold, he says, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, I say that because there are a lot of people who do not understand the nature of the Bible. There are many people who think that God has uh, made it possible for us to have in this collection of 66 books, this library of 66 books, that he's made it possible for us to have the thoughts of other men about God or perhaps their record of some historical events. If that is what you believe the Bible is, then you are sadly mistaken because the Bible is God's Word. We used to sing in Vacation Bible School, Holy Bible, Book Divine. Well, the Bible is a divine book. Now, I'm not asking you to submit to bibliolatry tonight to worship the Bible. You need to worship the God of the Bible. But this is not some men's words about God. These are God's words which he poured through the lives of other individuals. And as a matter of fact, the Scripture says in no uncertain terms that there are some instances, for instance, when the prophets would write and then they would back up and read what they wrote in order to seek to understand the full significance of it. It was an incredible book, this Bible. Now, you'll never be a faithful student of the Word of God as long as you think this is men's words about God as opposed to God's Word for you. There's some words we use to describe the Scriptures. Some of these have fallen into disrepute in recent years, but yet some of them are rising again. Here are these words. 
it is inspired. The Bible says, uh, Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration. The word there is spirit breathe. It's given by inspiration of God. So it is inspired. It is God's word. Now, God doesn't inspire anything that is false. And so it is inerrant, inspired, inerrant. That means it has no error in it. It is infallible. That is, there's no mistake in it. And then we talk about the fact that the Bible was inspired in, in, and we use two words. It is verbally inspired. That means the words are inspired and plenarily inspired. That means all of the words of the Bible are inspired. That's why it should shock you and cause you great alarm when you read about a publishing company, for instance, such as Zondervan right now, which publishes the NIV playing in such a cavalier fashion with the text that they think it will be a good marketing tool for them to create a gender-neutral Bible. Dear friends, let me just tell you something. We don't have the privilege of messing with the Word of God. This is the Word of God. We, we don't tamper with this so we can sell more. That's not the issue. Because then when you hand somebody something, you're not handing them the Word of God. And so the Bible is... The Word of God. I will rain bread from heaven for you. This manna came from God. This manna is a picture to us of the Word of God, all right? And so it is from God. Here's the second thing I want to say this evening. And I hope these are truths which you'll not forget. You should gather, I should gather, from the Word of God each day. You should gather from the Word of God each day. He said the people shall go out and gather at a certain rate every day. Now get the picture. Now look at it. They got up in the morning. They knew that out there was the only food that they would have for the day. Now they either went out and ate that food and they were sustained through that day to the next day or they ignored it. If they ignored it, there wasn't food that other people had that was left over because each gathered the amount that he needed or she needed. And so it wasn't the business of going out, well, hey, you don't feel like being a part of this. I'll just, I'll just take a whole bunch here and we'll split it up and I'll become, hey, I tell you what, I'll become the uh, manna gatherer and I'll just bring my cart loaded with manna down uh, in between the tents and you get whatever manna you want and you won't have to go to the trouble of gathering it. God did it this way so that, listen, so that everybody was involved in the gathering. The gathering was to be a daily discipline. And if they did not do that, they were not sustained. And so here's an old guy who might feel, uh, you know, inclined because see, when the sun came up, and this ought to tell you something about when you ought to read your Bible. Some old guy might feel so inclined that he said to himself, you know, I think I'm just going to sleep in today. But there was something that motivated him. If he slept in, he didn't eat later. Because early every morning before the sun came up, he was to be out there, what? Gathering his daily bread. Now, do you get the picture? You and I should gather from the Word of God. We are to gather from the Word of God each day. I cannot tell you, if you, if you take the time sometime to read the 119th Psalm, it's an incredible psalm. You see, when you read your Bible, you'll see uh, uh, over, some of the, over these little groupings of the Psalms, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, 
and so forth. Those are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you could read that in Hebrew, you'd discover that it's all poetry and that each of the lines of that psalm begin with the letter. For instance, all the first eight begin with Aleph, the second eight begin with Beth, and so forth. Read that sometime and see how often you're told that is to be a daily experience, that you are to gather from the Word of God every day. Some years ago, I went to a meeting to hear a man who is a very, very prominent Christian leader. I, I went to hear him because he was, he was a tremendously influential Christian in those days. And he stood up in front of a group, there were about 40 or 50 of us in the room, and he stood up in front of the group and he said, men, I know you've come here because uh, um, I own several corporations. As a matter of fact, he sat as chairman of the board of eight different corporations at that time. An extremely influential and successful individual. And he said, I know that you've come to hear me talk about my business acumen and, you know, um, the things that I have done to succeed. He said, uh, let me begin by sharing with you my testimony about my relationship with God through his word. And he proceeded to tell us, those of us who are in this room, he proceeded to tell us how that early in his life, when he first began to be attended by success, he found himself frantically going about every day saying, man, I have so many decisions to make. I have so many people to see. I have so many things to do. I just don't think I can get them all done. And he said, one day I heard a man preach, like I'm preaching this evening, probably better. But he said, I heard a man preach about the importance of reading the Bible every day. And I thought, oh yeah, that's really great. I already have a jam-packed schedule. How in the world can I do everything else plus do what this guy's asking me to do? But he said, God got to me in that message. He said, I went home that night and I said, all right, Lord. He said, I don't suggest you make a deal with the Lord, but here's what I said. Here's what I'll do. I'll spend that time every day in the Bible, but I'm trusting you to allow me to make in five minutes decisions which would normally take me 30 minutes or an hour to make. And he said, you know something? God has been faithful to do that. He said, I'll read the Bible every day. He said, I've gotten to where I spend more and more time in the Bible because the time I spend in the Bible literally cuts Right When I'm making decisions, he said, it helps me to see right to the heart to know exactly what I need to be doing. And he said, the truth of the matter is, the more time I spend in the Word of God, listen to this, the more time I left, have left over at the end of the day. Now, isn't that incredible? You see, what you and I think will mess up our day, getting up, gathering from the Word of God every day, is an essential and we're to gather from the Word of God every day. I believe the morning time is best if you wait till the evening, then you miss out on all that incredible instruction that the Lord would give you for the day. The people you meet, the decisions you have to make, the things that you're to do, the purchases that you're going to be engaged in, all of that comes through His Word. Number three, this is where it's going to get a little bit sensitive. Your love for God is revealed by the way in which you handle God's Word. Your love for God is revealed by the way in which you handle His Word. Our Lord commanded us to spend time in the Bible. By the way, you notice here in, in verse 4, 
He says, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. As a matter of fact, he says, if, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say unto you? All right, now here's what we're saying. The evidence of your love for Jesus is not measured by some temperature of your heart, some passion, some excitement that you feel, some emotions where you say, I just love Jesus. You see, this is what scares me about a lot of contemporary Christian practice. You know why? There are a lot of people who believe that they are madly in love with Jesus because when they get in a room where they're praising and worshiping the Lord, they just feel so in love with Jesus. And in our society, we, we want a shortcut to everything. We don't want to wait for anything. And we love for somebody to tell us, listen, if you can, you can work up a certain level of excitement and emotion in your heart, bang, that means you love Jesus. And listen to this, Jesus never once said that. Not once did he say that your love had any, for him had anything to do with how you felt emotionally when it came to serving him. But he did give us a way to check our love, a barometer. He said, here it is. You love me? Do what I say. You love me? Keep my commandments. Doesn't say if you love me, whistle. If you love me, feel good. I think you will. I'll tell you what. I, I'm for, hey, I'm for feeling great. But the bottom line is this. He says, feeling great or not, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the way you handle his word, you're going you're gonna to lie in bed in the morning. And you're going to lie, man, 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 man. I should, I should do this. I should do this. I should do it. I just heard a sermon about it. I should do that. But it's going to be so hard. Well, Jesus, you know this. I love you. And roll over. I was in a, I was doing a conference one time, and it was, uh, I got there a little bit early. And I happened to uh, stop by the men's room of this conference center before I went in to speak. And uh, while I was in there, there were two other men in there, and they had no idea that I was there. And one of them started talking to the other. He says, what is this thing that we're doing today? He said, oh, I don't know, Tom Elliff is down here from Oklahoma, and he's teaching some kind of conference on prayer. And the other one said, yeah, he said, that's it, that's it, that's it. He said, but you know, I'll admit to you, this morning when I woke up and saw that it was below freezing and there was sleet on the ground, I wanted to roll over in bed and say, Lord, you know I'm for that and go back to sleep. Now listen, rolling over and saying, Lord, you know I'm for that is not loving Jesus. You got the picture? All right, so your love for God is revealed by the way you handle God's Word. Number four, last. Gathering from God's Word in the manner He commands. That means day 
by day, by day, by day, by day, by day, by day. Gathering from God's word in the manner he commands ensures that you will have sufficient resources to meet every challenge in life. Now, there's not any other way you're going to have it. But if you will gather from God's word in the manner that he commands, you will have sufficient resources to meet every challenge of your life. Turn with me to the last verses of this chapter. And look with me at verse 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. Now listen, there is not one person who died of starvation in 40 years in the wilderness. Not one. As a matter of fact, there is a, an event recorded over in the 33rd chapter of the book of Numbers, as I recall, that tells us that one day they began to complain about having no flesh, and God gave them quail, which they had to eat till it came out their nose. That's what the scripture says. He said, I, you want quail? I can handle quail. Wham! That's enough. No, it's not enough. Keep eating. Wham! No, I've had plenty. Keep chewing. Wham! Till it came out their nose. I think next morning they said, you know, I think I like my manna cereal a little bit better than... Just, just, just keep the quail, okay, sweetheart? Just, just, I don't want quail sausage, no quail bacon, I don't want quail steaks, I don't quail anything. I think I'll just go back to manna. But not one person starved during that 40 years. Amazing. Now, how could it be you say there's just that little stuff? I mean, you know, just little beads of stuff they gather up. How could he, how could, hey, listen, what God sends your way is exactly what you need. Boy, you know, we have all this stuff today. Everybody has got the, everybody has got, and I'm for vitamins. I take vitamins. And what everybody's got their way of getting all the vitamins you're supposed to need, you know, in one whatever it is. I mean, you know, I, ever, everybody has it. And, and they say, boy, if you do this, now this is it. This is the one. Or, or, or these are the ones, you know. Or, you know, and, and, or, or big, you know. I mean, some pills are big and some... some I heard the, the other day about a, a, a farmer whose mule got sick. And he asked a vet, he said, to come see my mule. And the vet said, I got two pills you need to give me. Both those pills were as big as his thumb. He said, how do you give a mule a pill? He said, piece of cake. He said, take about a four-foot piece of, of water hose, stick it down his throat, put the pill in the end of the water hose, and blow, and that pill will go right to his stomach. About three days later, the vet got a call from the doctor, and there was a farmer there in intensive care, and he was about to die, and he kept saying something about a mule pill. And um, so the vet went out, and the vet said to the farmer, what happened? He said, from his bed, he said, the mule blew first. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, every, everybody, everybody has this thing. You know, they want to, it, it's, it's got everything you need in it. Well, I'll tell you what had everything they needed. Manna. And I'll tell you what has everything you need in it. God's word. Manna. Holy food from the heavenly Father.
And my prayer is that in this service this evening, God would raise up an army of people who would say, there may not be a lot of things that I can do in the Christian life. I may not know how to train for this or do that or give this way or do that. I may not have all the... But you see, there's not one person here who can't say that if you will tonight, I will spend time every day getting God's manna, holy food, from the Heavenly Father. There's not one other thing you can do more important than that. Father, I pray, trusting, believing that your Holy Spirit now tonight would just uh, bring us to a point of commitment. Lord, there, I pray there'd be people come to the altar and, and before you say, Dear God, I want to be a man or woman of God's Word. And Father, at this invitation time, I pray you'd touch hearts. Make us, Lord, sensitive to you. And Lord, make us quick to obey you. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me just say that we're going to stand in a few moments. Our praise singers will be leading us in invitation chorus. Is this my invitation to you? Well, I'm going to verbalize it, but it's really God's appeal to you to say yes to him. And so I want to urge you, wherever you're seated, when we stand, I'm going to lead us in prayer. When I say amen, we're going to begin singing. I want to urge you to step out to an aisle, make your way to this altar, and that's your way of responding to what God has said to you tonight. Now listen, there are some of you here who just simply need to come to the altar and say, Lord, you know about me and the, your word, and tonight I'm praying you'll do an amazing work of grace in my life. And on my knees here, dear Lord, I am giving myself the balance of my life for the rest of my life to being a man or a woman of your word. And Lord, I'm not doing it so that I can have power. Lord, I'm doing it because you have said that that's what I ought to do. And whatever you do in my life as a result, I gladly receive. And so you come to this altar and just simply make that, make that uh, known to the Lord here at this altar. But I also believe there are people whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of First Southern. Wouldn't it be a tragedy for you to go away tonight without having done that? So as a family or as an individual, when we stand and sing, why don't you just come, find one of these counselors and say, look, we want to join. I want to join this church. I want to be a part of this fellowship. I'd urge you to make that decision. It could be that God has spoken to your heart and you've made decisions in earlier services, such as those who are baptized. We've not introduced you to your new church family. Well, come and be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members. We'll introduce you at the close of the service. But listen, I believe there are some people here, there always are in every service, who have come with this question, how can I be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so my prayer is this evening that you will say yes to God, all right? That you will open your heart to Him. Now listen carefully. Don't let anyone or anything disturb you. Listen carefully. Jesus did something for you no one else can do. He died on the cross of Calvary. He did that because the wages of sin is death. And either you pay that wage or someone who's never sinned would have to pay for it. And the only person who could do that was Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God. And so Jesus went to the cross voluntarily. He gave his life for you. He was crucified. He was raised up from the dead. That was God's way of saying that is satisfactory payment for the sins of mankind. And so his appeal to you tonight is to trust him, to repent of sin and say, look, I want to trust in Jesus. A man asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. As a matter of fact, he said, that, that's the way your whole house can be saved. 
And so I want to encourage you tonight, if your heart's desire is to be forgiven of sin, freed from the power and the penalty, the dominion of sin in your life, if you want to know for sure when you die you're going to heaven, I urge you, make your way to this altar. Say to one of these counselors, look, I want to trust Jesus tonight. And this will be the red letter day of your life, an incredible moment in your life. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, Father in heaven? I pray believing that in these few moments you will bring to this altar every person whose heart you are touching. Give them decisiveness. Give them boldness. I pray that the spirit of indecision or timidity would be bound up in the name of Jesus and that, Lord, people would decide for you tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' name.